Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We're back again, and we have as our guest Mike John, uh, Mark Johnson. I changed his name. Uh, and he is, the, of course, the North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instruction, having been elected to that uh, position in 2016. And we're going to be talking about something that seems to be on the minds of almost everyone in North Carolina, and that's the matter of public education. And, Mark, you know, one of the things that's interesting about your job is you've got about 8 million bosses. <laughs> That's I mean, right. almost 8 million. There's 10 million people in North Carolina. I'd say a good 8 million of them have really pretty good ideas about how they would run the school system. <laughs> so uh, that must be challenging. A- absolutely. And and that is why, uh, you know, we are one of uh, only a handful of states that elects our state superintendent. Uh, only about a third of the states in the United States of America elect a state superintendent. Other states have uh, setups where you have it appointed by a governor or appointed by a state board of education. And one of the benefits, there are, there are drawbacks, but one of the benefits is that I had to go out and campaign for this office. I made it very clear what my priorities are, what change I wanted to bring to this office and education, uh, and people had the opportunity to respond to that and send me here to do it. Well, and you mentioned the State Board of Education. There is one. How, how's the relationship? Because a lot of people have been foggy on this, and I'm one of them of how the, the relationship is between the uh, the elected state superintendent of public instruction and the state board of education, which is appointed. Yes, and it, it is a foggy relationship. That is the best way to describe it, because we still are figuring out what our Constitution is supposed to mean. Uh, I think our Constitution was uh, left intentionally vague uh, in order to <laughs> have everyone just kind of try to figure this out. Uh, so basically the way it's set up, we have obviously an elected governor. We have an elected general assembly. Uh, we have an elected state superintendent of public instruction, and we have a state board of education, and the state board of education, most of the members are appointed by the governor and then confirmed by the state senate. Uh, there are also two other members, the state treasurer and the lieutenant governor, who are elected by the people. The state board of education and the state superintendent both have a role to play in the in the management of our K-12 public education system. What we have uh, been trying to figure out for decades is how much of a role does each play. So this is this has been going on for for many many years. Uh, we are now at a point where the state board of education makes the high level policies for our K-12 schools, such as. Uh, the state standards. Uh, there's a lot of controversy around Common Core. Uh, that is in the ballpark of the State Board of Education. They they look at the standards. They vote as a group to approve the standards. I, as the elected state superintendent, manage the actual education bureaucracy in Raleigh, the State Department of Public Instruction, and I manage the day-to-day of actually implementing those policies. And you're dealing with, uh, what, about 120 school districts? Yes, almost. We're up to 116 now. 116, and there's, what, over 2,500 schools. Mm -hmm, Roughly that, and over 1.5 million students. Well, that's that's a huge undertaking, and as I said, uh, it's a little bit like the weather. Everybody talks about it, and... uh, and everybody, in this case, everybody tries to do something about it. <laughs> That's exactly right. And also one thing that I've been pointing out over the last two years is uh, back to that foggy relationship. We really – I would like to see us as a state get more clarity and more accountability around education. One reason I ran for this office 
is because when someone didn't like something in education, they would go to their school board or they'd go to their general assembly representative or they'd go to the state board. And guess what? If it's something bad, everybody could point the finger at somebody else, yes. yeah. right? And if it's something good, everybody could take credit. Yeah. But if it's something bad in education, <laughs> everybody can point the finger somewhere else and say, well, I don't have control of that. That's them. Uh, one thing I'm looking at is how do we bring more accountability? And that is why I've really put myself out there with some with some bold change initiatives and put my name with it because I, I want people to know this is, this is the vision that I'm bringing and this is the change I want, uh, but also hold me accountable for it as well. Well, we mentioned 115, or as you said, 116 uh, local school districts. Each one of those has a board of education, uh, yes, county board yes, of education, yes. and so forth, with a chairman. And uh, that uh, so there's a lot of management going on. And uh, as you said, the uh, uh, the systems, of course, range in size dramatically, and that's another problem because you've got mm-hmm. some very large school districts. And then you've got some that are very, very small. Yeah, our smallest, our newest is our smallest. It's only one school, one school for our school district. That's the innovative school district. Yeah. It's a new, it's a new model. And our largest is Wake County, has one hundred and sixty thousand students. And of course, we keep adding responsibility to this area because for a long time it was literally, a, it wasn't K through twelve. It was one through twelve. Mm-hmm. And now we've added so many early school programs that that adds to the burden not only of the local. Uh, county, uh, the county boards or the district boards, uh, and uh, but it also adds a lot of responsibility to you. So you know we've uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the early school programs because this is something that's relatively new. I guess Governor Hunt was the first to, mm-hmm. to begin to be, uh, begin to be concerned about that. How is that working out? Are we seeing tenant, uh, great results from the uh, early childhood programs, and are they beginning to show? Uh, the the kind of results that we wanted absolutely the the high quality early childhood programs are absolutely showing the results we want i I like to put it this way for people we designed our education system over 100 years ago it was the best it was the best system we could design at the time with the knowledge we had about education at the time Uh, but if we were able to hit complete reset and restart today to design education system We know that we would start school uh, much earlier in the life of a child because whereas 100 years ago, many people might have just thought children at that age were just kind of sitting and looking and not really soaking in knowledge, we now know that children's brains at that age are just absolute sponges. And what happens in those early years has so much of an impact on what happens later on. And one of our top priorities is making sure every student can read at grade level before they go to the fourth grade. That is a that is a line in the sand where if we don't have them reading on grade level by the fourth grade, they're always going to be struggling to catch up after the fourth grade. So the earlier we can start, the better. One of the uh, guests we had on this program years ago, and I wish I could give credit to the right person, but I cannot remember who said it. But one of the things, he was involved in public education, may have well been one of your predecessors. I, I just don't remember who said it. But it's so true. He said, you know, there's one thing about the first day that a child goes to school. He said, they're all excited about it. And he yes. said, then we begin to lose them one at a time. That's right. That's right. He said, the first day of school, and then we start losing them. Mm-hmm. And because we can't uh, quite fill all the, the roles that the student is looking for. 
And uh, so that's that's a challenge. How, it, how do it, we it, keep more and more of the kids engaged and want to stay involved? I, I love that you had that question because I am extremely optimistic about the future of education. Uh, we are now at a point in our society that we have never been in the history of all of of society with what technology has been doing for us. Now, look, technology has its negatives. We need to we need to address some of the negatives, but we also need to embrace the positives. We personalize everything now with technology. We personalize our news. We personalize our entertainment. You can even personalize your food orders before you even walk into a, a, a restaurant chain and pick it up and pay for it without even talking to anybody. We need to personalize education. And using this technology, uh, the right appropriate amount, not too much screen time, and of course not replacing teachers, it's a tool for teachers, uh, we are going to address that exact problem that you just highlighted engaging students in the material throughout the entire school year, having them excited throughout the entire school year. Because imagine uh, a a piece of content where a student uh, that day would practice their reading, but they can decide, do I want to read about an astronaut? Do I want to read about a dancer? And they would be able to choose what they want to read about. So they're engaged in the lesson, but they're getting the same exact uh, practice that the student next to them who might be reading something different will be will be reading. And then all that information that is gathered on that student is immediately given to the teacher. So the teacher's empowered with all that information and then can spend one-on-one time with each student uh, on what their strengths and challenges are. So that's very exciting. Well, there's two things that are kind of interesting to me about uh, watching students. One is uh, that uh, process we talked about where the students lose interest. The other thing that's interesting, and I know you're a former teacher yourself, and you've been involved in education, and this must be so what is so rewarding, and that's when a student gets reengaged, when something turns them on, and uh, all of a sudden the refrigerator door opens, the little light comes on, and all of a sudden there's a transformation. I've seen that. I... I one of my best moments teaching is I saw that moment, the 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 true moment where it, it almost like there was a light bulb that yep. went off over over one of my students' uh, head. I I actually remember it quite well because I taught uh, ninth graders at West Charlotte High School, very very difficult place to be a student. Uh, students coming from systemic poverty, and when I taught um, about a decade ago, every education leader was telling every student, "You've got to go." to college. You got to go to college. If you want to yep. be a success, yep. you got to go to college. Well, here here I come and I'm in my classroom talking to my ninth graders and I said, "Hey, you know what? It's not that you have to go to college, it's that you have to work hard, graduate high school and know what your next steps are going to be." Yep. And I gave examples of you could go be a welder and in just a few years after high school, you could be making 60-70,000 a year. It 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 doesn't mean it's not hard work. You have to work hard. Uh, but this is a path that everyone can take, and you can be a success. And that is the exact moment I, I still remember uh, the, the the light bulb going off over the head of that student, saying, "Hey, you know what? Yeah. That that can be me." And and that did happen for that student. It's very it's very very satisfying. Well, you know, I, I can remember in my little high school of growing up, and you saw uh, a student uh, light bulb come on, and all of a sudden there was a remarkable change, and uh, 
and it's life-changing, and it uh, is career-changing. Well, our guest is Mark Johnson. He's the superintendent of public instruction of the state of North Carolina. We'll be back with more as we talk about education here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll do that right after these messages. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right. Sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. This year, the North Carolina Guardian Ad Litem Program is celebrating its 25th anniversary of being a voice for children who are victims of child abuse and neglect. The Guardian Ad Litem Program provides trained, independent advocates to represent abused and neglected children in court proceedings and to help make sure they have a safe, permanent home, what every child needs. Volunteerism is the cornerstone of the Guardian Ad Litem Program, and volunteers are needed. If you have just a few hours each month to rise to the challenge and volunteer, please call 1-800-982-4041 or visit ncgal.org. Volunteer for the Guardian Ad Litem Program. Be the voice for a child. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Mark Johnson. He's the North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instructions, and he uh, came to that role sort of interesting because you are, you're not a native North Carolinian. How did you get to North Carolina? How did you get interested in public education? And how did you get interested in running for this office? Now, that's, that's, a, that's a bunch of questions. <laughs> how much time do you have? That's, well, we've got plenty. We'll, we'll get right into it. Uh, yes, I grew up in South Louisiana originally. That is where my family originates from. My grandfather grew up dirt poor. My grandfather did not graduate from high school. He did not have the opportunity to. He served in the armed forces, and after his service to our nation, he decided he was going to provide a better opportunity for his children and their children than he himself had. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps by selling life insurance door-to-door across the entire Southeast. So I was taught from a very early age that education and the work you put in education really determines what kind of work you do for the next 40 or 50 years of your life and the, and the options and opportunities you have. But I was also taught, because of where my family came from, even in this day and age, not everyone has that opportunity. So I worked very hard in school. I went to college in Atlanta, Georgia. I wanted to stay in the Southeast, uh, marry, uh, met and married a uh, fantastic, wonderful person who uh, is now my wife and the mother of our child. Uh, she is originally from Winston-Salem. So I came to visit North Carolina uh, while I was dating her and absolutely fell in love with this state. It is an amazing state. Uh, We decided we did not want to stay in Atlanta. It was too big. We moved to Charlotte where she worked for Wachovia and I taught high school. Uh, I really wanted to uh, go into one of the hardest, most challenging circumstances where I could have the most impact. So I taught at West Charlotte High School. Uh, It was an amazing experience. Uh, it was a way for me to give back to my country that has given me so much, uh, and I wanted to make sure that the lessons I learned from that time, if I ever had the chance to an- impact the policies, that I would take it. So that is what led to me running for school board in Winston-Salem, and after being on the school board in Winston-Salem and seeing that there was even more that needed to be done running for this office statewide and uh, having the privilege and honor of serving as the state superintendent. 
Well, there's one thing that can be said, and I think it is the envy of the entire uh, nation. North Carolina, uh, going back to its roots, was a poor state. Uh, mm-hmm. We we did not have plantation owners and and all that sort of thing. We had a lot of uh, just regular farmers and people who work in textile plants and so forth. And one of the things that's always been interesting to me is a common denominator again about most parents in North Carolina, especially. They want their children to do better than they did. That's right. That's, and I think that may be common in a lot of states, but it's particularly in North Carolina. And early on, we've always put high priority on education. Every school bond issue has. passes, mm-hmm. and uh, it's still there. And uh, that's that, that has led to uh, having not only a great university system, a great community college system, but also in public education. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're probably the envy of the country. Uh, we we are we are the envy of many. We have uh, faced struggles that many around the nation have faced. But you are right. We are we are a great place to learn. We are a great place to teach. Uh, I actually have put out the challenge that we should be able to be called the best place to learn and the best place to teach because we've, as you just said, we've already got all the ingredients to get us there. We we have a strong K twelve system. Uh, we have the most important ingredient, which are fantastic educators. We have very committed people who care about their students. Uh, we have committed parents. We actually uh, have an amazing community college system. We do have a community college system that is the envy of the nation. We have uh, so many campuses where students can, very close to home, get the, the, the training and education they need to be successful in whatever their path is. We also have a strong military presence, so there's the option for military service, and a very strong uh, university system. So we are well on our way to being able to call ourselves the best place to learn and the best place to teach. Uh, but of course, we know that we still have work to do. And, and that is uh, constantly a topic that people will hear across the state. But we are doing that work and we are on track to, be, to get there. We were talking in the first segment about uh, the refrigerator door opening and the little light coming on. Uh, is there a pivotal year that you look at particularly? Uh, you know, we mentioned early childhood programs are important. Then we say the first grade is important. Then we say, where are the, where are the ones that really are the pivotal years that, where we really need to put special emphasis? Or is there one? You know, I wouldn't say there's one that I would call out as the, the most special. I can tell you as the father of a six-year-old, I really am truly passionate about that early childhood time. Uh, we, we definitely are looking at doing more and we need to do more because the, the, not only the hard skills such as learning letters and learning numbers that you could get that would give you a head start uh, before you enter school, but the soft skills as well, uh, making sure students uh, are excited to go to school, like you talked about that first day, making sure they understand why they're going to school. That starts very, very early, and if you ingrain those early on, you'll, you'll have less issues when you get to middle school and high school. The reason I don't want to pick one as, as the magic number is because I'm also very passionate about middle school and high school, about letting students know all the pathways they can have to success. We need to, and we've started this, we've started letting students know as early as middle school. So go to elementary school, get your, your basic fundamentals, then in middle school, you don't have to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life, but we want you to know the options. We want you to know that, yes, if you want to go get a four-year degree, we're going to ha- make sure you're ready. We're going to make sure you find a way to make it affordable, and you can make that happen. But we also want you to know that you can go to, you can go to high school and get a high school diploma, 
And then after 10 weeks of a training program, you can be an electric line worker. And electric line workers, their starting salary right now is $50,000 a year. And after a few years on the job and working overtime, you can be making six figures. At the same time, in North Carolina, we have a shortage of electric line workers. That is an industry where they need the talent. So we are working hard to connect students as early as middle school to start thinking about, hey, what, what, what could I be? What do I want to be when I grow up? And what does that look like when I need to pay bills or maybe I want to own my own car, or my own house? I want to go on vacation once a year. What's the path I should take? Should I go this route uh, where it's not college and I have no college debt and I'll make this much? Or do I want to go to college and have that experience and take the debt out, but knowing what I'm going to have to uh, make in order to pay off that debt? I'm going to change the subject on you now and talk about testing because that's one of the things we read lots and lots about. Where do we stand on testing? And of course, uh, what are we? How are we changing as we learn more and more about uh, testing? Well, we're testing too much, and that's actually one of uh, the the main reasons I ran for this office. And one of the main things I campaigned on was we are testing too much. And it comes. Let me just say this: it came from a good place. Testing has always been in schools. It always will be in schools. It's just about how much we have. It came from a good place to make sure we could measure where students are and how our schools were doing for students. Uh, the problem is we put all these tests at the end of the school year uh, to see how schools are doing. And as a result, we had a lot of tests that started coming up throughout the school year in order to see how students were going to do on the test at the end of the school year. <laughs> so everyone has their tests. The federal government has their tests. The state government has their tests. Local districts have their tests. Uh, we're doing uh, a few things to make sure we address this issue. First off, and this has happened this year, I have done everything in my power as state superintendent to scale back the stress level around testing. We have taken, so, so for the state tests that are required by federal law, we have reduced the number of questions, we've reduced the amount of time, uh, we're reducing uh, other things that might make it a stressful environment. We're, we're taking that away. We are also working now with local districts to really make an effort to streamline and coordinate the local tests that are given as well so that we don't have overwhelming amount of tests throughout the school year. But ultimately, ultimately, where we need to go for education is we need to build testing into low-stress, frequent uh, checks on student progress throughout the learning process. Let's not shut everything down for a test. And I mentioned earlier, we talked about technology. Technology is actually going to help us do that because I said there are programs where students can just spend a little bit of time on technology, not too much screen time, but as they're learning, the technology is, is gathering the information on what are they getting right, what's easy for them, what are they getting wrong, what's hard for them. It's gathering that information while they're engaged in a lesson, and then that information is immediately available for a teacher and also for a policymaker who wants to look at, hey, how are our schools doing and what changes do we need to make? That is ultimately what's going to change testing. It's called personalized learning. It is, it is the idea that we're all unique individuals. We shouldn't have these tests that are 
that are designed based on what the average student should know because we know there is no such thing as an average student. It's time to move beyond that way of thinking, and it's personalized learning. It's very exciting for North Carolina. We already have a number of schools in North Carolina that are full 100% ahead on personalized learning, and we're going to be spreading that in the upcoming years for all the schools in North Carolina. It's always amazed me about uh, testing because you always come out with a figure that's called average. Well, that, all of that means is it's the middle, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that that's an average student. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, there is, and and that's again. I go back to we designed our education system a hundred years ago, and we used the best system we had at the time. Yeah. But it's time for us to completely update and transform our system using this technology as a powerful tool for teachers and students. I came up in a small town. Of course, it was a different time. But one of the things that all the teachers did the first week of school is they visited the parents in their home. And unfortunately, that's that's something that was lost because that really gave those teachers a great insight into what they were they were doing. And of course, that would be almost impossible to do in this day and age. But what a what an advantage for the teachers to meet with each parent mm-hmm. and uh, know and uh, you still you still have some parents that are very active in schools but this was every parent yeah. every parent yeah. and uh, the teachers were able to do it in one month and they had thirty students and they take one day and go to see a parent wow and uh, I I don't know when that practice ended I guess probably around nineteen sixty or so <laughs> well and I will give a shout out there are still teachers that put in that extra work we have just asked so much of teachers we put so many administrative burdens on them. Uh, that it's getting harder and harder for them to do that, which is why I want to, again, use technology to help connect that classroom to the parents. Uh, we're already seeing that. Uh, you could actually have student assignments put up on technology as it's happening, and parents are sent that to check on it as it's happening. And that's 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 going on right now in our schools. Of course, another item that is constantly in the news is the safety of schools and discipline in the schools. It uh, you know, when I came through the school systems, they were a safe place. It's not necessarily always the case these days, and it's very difficult uh, in managing that process of being sure the schools are safe. That's and, right. Uh, and also discipline. Where do we stand on that? Are we making progress? We, we absolutely are. And this is, this is one of those things where uh, it is, again, an honor and a privilege to serve the state of North Carolina as the statewide elected representative uh, with the task of setting the vision for schools i came in the office with a with a uh, with one uh, you know a certain set of ideas of where i wanted to go and this is one of those things where then we had some tragedies elsewhere in the nation and we had to drop everything and say we we've all got to reassess what's going on in our schools uh, this is absolutely uh not acceptable for our children to be in fear of going to school, for our for our teachers to be at risk when they're at school. We as a society have to make the changes. So we are addressing that from uh, multiple, multiple uh, venues. One, we know that mental health is a huge concern. Uh, we have to make sure that one student's challenges don't become a school tragedy. So last summer, in the short session of the General Assembly, we were able to secure millions of dollars in order to get more mental health professionals and support to schools across North Carolina. And we gave that out 
through grants, actually, because we were looking for not just uh, handing out money for more of the same. We needed to know what, what are the innovations that are going to help us truly address this. We've gotten some great innovations. Uh, I am most excited about uh, some of the teams that have started with this this funding that actually can serve multiple, multiple schools and go in and uh, really dig in and, and address uh, if there is a student that has issues. So they will get that support they need. Uh, we've also uh, been giving out funding to harden our schools. That is a reality. We want to make sure that we do things that would deter, heaven forbid, anything like this from happening. Uh, a great example is in North Carolina, decades ago, a lot of schools were built uh, with multiple buildings. So you have a very nice outside area, but that makes it very easy for anyone just to walk up into a school campus. So we got funding out so that schools could build uh, you know, not fences to make schools look like prisons, but deterrence to make sure people entered the school through the visitor vestibule. And we also got more school resource officers out to our schools. Uh, those are trained law enforcement officers. They are uh, there to protect and serve in case the worst happens, uh, but also they build community relationships with students, with teachers uh, while they're on the job. We're very excited about all that. Definitely still a top priority. We will see more coming this summer to make sure that we are advancing school safety throughout North Carolina. Mark, thank you so much for spending time with us. Mark Johnson, the superintendent of public instruction of the state of North Carolina in his first term been a great program and i hope that uh, people will take the opportunity if they join this late to go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the parts of the broadcast they might have missed our program has been produced by jason kong and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations all across north carolina as we continue our series of carolina newsmakers again that uh, address if you'd like to hear the broadcast again is carolinanewsmakers.com Again, uh, until next week, same time, on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.